Welcome. So good to see you guys. Seriously, it's beautiful outside, and you chose to come here and sit in this auditorium and worship Jesus. That's amazing. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. So just so you know, I'm going to repeat it because I don't want anyone to come here next week. Next week, we're going to be at Grace Community Church. It's 4421 Hudson Road. You can remember that, or you can look it up on Google or Facebook. So next week, yeah, next to the tower, you can't miss it. It's got a steeple. It says Grace Community outside. If you go out from the way where there's like uh, Strayerwood Theater and there's Hageman, you go out, take a left, you just go down, and it'll be on your right eventually, like a mile. All right, so be there, because I already know that some band people are going to be on for a symphonic band concert, and that's pretty detrimental for us, because it's like half our group. So if you don't come, it's just going to be me at the church. So be there. Bring your friends. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's do it. It's going to be the best night. So tonight, we are going to jump into James part three. This has been really fun for me, just to go verse by verse through James. And the bad thing is we're not able to cover every single thing in James during our Tuesday night gatherings, but we came up with this sweet plan where we're covering what we're we're covering in small groups, but we're not covering on Tuesday nights. So you got to go to small groups. If you want to get the full scope of James, go to small group. Tomorrow night, because we're trying to fit so much stuff in, we're going to tackle like three different sections. So go to small group, get excited, dive into the Word. Because I'm telling you guys, you know, studying this Word, it's a lot of fun. I know it seems boring to some of us, but it's so much fun to see what God has for us and to see how it applies to today. So I pray that you guys will just make it a priority this week to go to small group. It's going to be raining tomorrow, so you don't have an excuse to go outside. Uh, it's going to be cold. So anyways, go to small group. All right, so last Saturday, uh, we had an event called Elevate. So who came to Elevate? Yeah. Woo! So this is our first time we opened it up to everybody. Um, it used to be just an event for small group leaders, but we opened it up to everybody. And it's an event that's just focused on teaching you guys leadership principles. And I thought it was a lot of fun. We had Iowa State come and hang out with us. Uh, and their pastor spoke to us as well. And I just thought it was a lot of fun to hang out talk about following Jesus. So if you didn't come this year, don't fret. We're going to have it next year. So, but you got to wait a year until then. So yeah, come. All right. So back to James. If you remember, the first week we talked about trials and temptations. So what we did is we unpacked the first 18 verses of James. And the main idea was this. And when trials and temptations come, we must cling to Jesus. So the way we respond to trials and temptations is not shaking our fist at God, but instead clinging to God because he's the one who walks with us through the trial and he uses the trial to shape us into the person that he has created us to be. So God uses our trials. God doesn't cause them necessarily, but God uses our trials. He uses the bad things that happen in our life to help us become mature followers of Jesus. Okay, so, so when trials and temptations come, cling to God don't, or don't run from him. And then last week we talked about James 1, 19 through 27, and James has this dialogue about hearing and doing the word. He says, first of all, hear the word. It's good to hear the word, but also do the word. So don't just come to Chi Alpha on Tuesdays and hear the word and then walk out and keep doing the same thing you did before, but instead apply the word to your life. Don't just read this as a religious ritual, like I'm reading the Bible because I'm supposed to, but instead hear the word and then do it. So the main idea was this last week. So... Yeah, it's right here. So we need to listen to Jesus and then do what he says. Pretty simple. Listen to Jesus. Have your ears turned towards heaven during your prayer time or whatever, and also through the scriptures. And then don't only listen to him, but also do what he says. Some of us have not gotten fresh revelation from God because we haven't obeyed the last thing he told us to do. And you're waiting to hear, 
or to hear something fresh. But he's just going to keep telling you the same thing until you obey him. So don't only hear the word, but do the word. And then during small groups last week, we talked about the sin of partiality. So that was James 2, 1 through 13. And here, James talks about how God does not show partiality to us based upon our socioeconomic background or based upon our appearance or our stature in this world. But God shows all of us love. And because of that, because God shows everyone love, we are called as followers of Jesus, for those of us who follow Jesus, to follow in his footsteps and love everyone and don't judge. That's pretty much what James said. We talked about that in a small group. And now we're going on to James chapter 2 still, but then in verse 14, we're going to talk about the relationship between faith and works. And before we read this, I got to warn you, I got to set you up because this is, this is one of the most argued about passages in the Bible. It's one of the most difficult ones to interpret. There are times where James will seem to be arguing or to be arguing for legalism, which is the idea that you can earn your salvation by your works. It can seem that way. But if you actually interpret the text correctly and you know the theology of the Bible, we know that that could not possibly be what he's saying because if James is saying we work for our salvation, we do good things, and then God will love us, then that means that the cross of Jesus Christ is for nothing. And we know that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, and it's his perfect work that saves us, not our work. So when we trust in Jesus, so when you make the decision to follow Jesus, Jesus' righteousness is transferred to your account, or the fancy word is it's imputed into you. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. So if God sees Jesus when he looks at us, then there's nothing we could possibly do to earn his love. And it says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. So if all are fallen short of the glory of God, then none of us could earn salvation on our own. So we know that that cannot possibly be what James is saying. What James is arguing for is a certain kind of faith. It's a faith that actually works. It's a faith that changes us. It's not just intellectual belief. How many kids did you know growing up that said, I believe in God, so I'm a Christian? James says, that is not Christianity. Believing in God is not Christianity. Even believing in Jesus is not Christianity. You can't just or intellectually um, just agree with some doctrines and think you'll be saved. James says, if you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he comes into your heart, gives you a new heart, then it will change you. It's going to cause you to do something differently. So I'm excited to jump into this. Verse 14, let's let James speak for himself. All right. Says this, or says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need for their body, then what good is that? So, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you will have faith and I'll have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's bringing the heat. Verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, and you do well. That's a good thing to believe. But even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Wow, he's just calling names. This is scripture. They do that in scripture. It gets worse than that. But anyways, that faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And some of you who 
haven't experienced anything with Christianity, you're like, what is going on here? Someone sacrificed his son? We'll talk about that later. All right, anyways. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Guys, I want to be called a friend of God. Isn't that cool? All right, anyways, verse 24. I'm getting off track. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right. He just brought the heat. It's going to take us some out to unpack it. And before we do that, let's pray because we got to get ready for this. All right. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for tonight. I thank you for every single student in this room. God, I thank you for bringing us together on this beautiful day just to dive into your word and to hear your voice. God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that just every other voice that's in our head would just be drowned out by your voice, and we'd just be able to hear you tonight for the next 20 to 30 minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we read this passage, there's many of you who are already fighting the earth legalism. And legalism is this idea, like I said, that, that we can earn God's love with our performance. So when you read faith without works is dead or faith apart from works is useless, you're tempted, and I'm tempted because I struggle more with legalism than the other one, which we'll talk about later, tempted to start just writing down all the things we need to do for God to love us. For instance, I need to have quiet time at 5 a.m. in the morning. I haven't been doing that lately. I need to start doing that so God will love me. Or, hey, I need to join the worship team so I can be really spiritual. Or I need to go to small group more regularly, and then God will love me. Okay, that one's true, but uh, <laughs> start going to small group. That's a prerequisite for salvation. I'm just kidding. All right, so all good things, but please hear my heart when I say do not allow legalism to take root in your life because it's going to choke you to death. This weight of trying to measure up to God, it will strangle your spirituality. It's not going to enhance it. So I pray that you would avoid that temptation and take time to actually interpret this passage correctly before you go down that road. So last week we established this truth. There's nothing that any of us could ever do to get God to love us more or less than he does right now. Get that. There's no good work you could do to make God love you more than he does right now. Some of you need to hear that. And then also there's no sin you could, com- or could commit to make him love you less than he does right now. And that truth should free you up to obey God. That's what James is getting at. He's saying when you have tasted the love of God, when you have gotten that truth in your heart, it causes you to live differently. Because if you really grasp that, if you truly believe in that, that should change you guys. That should change everything about you, that God loves you while you are still a sinner. That there's nothing you have to do to earn his love. That truth should do some work on your heart. And if it's not doing work on your heart, then I would argue, and I think James would argue, that it hasn't quite actually gotten into your heart. If you're here tonight, and you believe yourself to be a Christian, but you haven't seen any spiritual fruit in your life, you haven't experienced a true transformation or change, if you aren't really convicted of sin, like you can just commit sin, and you don't care, like just whatever, or if you aren't really surrendered to God, if you're calling the shots in your life, then I pray that this passage would not compel you to try to earn your salvation or do certain religious things to get God to love you, but instead I pray that it would compel you 
to run to Jesus and say this to Jesus. Say, Jesus, show me your love for me. Jesus, show me these truths. Jesus, preach the gospel to me. The gospel that says I'm more flawed than I could have or could ever imagine, but at the same time, I'm more loved than I could ever dream. That's what I encourage you to do. Get face-to-face with Jesus and say, Jesus, show me your love for me, because that's what's going to change you. Because if you're not truly living your faith out, I would argue that you don't understand how much God loves you. Because if someone has truly tasted God's love, it will change them. That's the argument of the passage. The main idea tonight is this. Three words, and I only have one point. Can you believe that? That's what happens when I'm moving, okay? I don't have time for three points. I'm still going to take like 60 minutes though, so get ready. Kidding. All right, true faith works. That's the point. That's all you got to write down for points tonight. And it's part three, faith works. That's what the sermon's called. So what does James mean by works? What are works? Well, I would say works in a sentence is loving God and loving your neighbor. That's the way Jesus defines it. They say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God and love your neighbor. So James is saying, if you've truly tasted God's love for you, then you can't help but just, or but just love God more and seek to live a holy life and, and run from the sin that's entangling your life. Like, guys, if you taste God's love for you, it should cause you to love him back. And then also it should cause you to love your neighbor because you realize, wow, God loved me when I was so flawed and sinful. That should compel you to love the really difficult people. And you're already thinking of people in your head like, God, help me love this person should compel you to love your neighbor. That's what works are. So James is saying you can't be an authentic Christian and not love God and neighbor. And that doesn't mean you'll be perfect. That's one thing I want you guys to get. Like, James is not arguing for perfection. What he's arguing for is progress. And he's arguing for you to actually care because there are far too many Christians out there. There are far too many followers of Jesus for the last 2,000 years, as we can see here, because James was addressing it here. The problem is or this problem has existed throughout the history of the church, this problem of Christians who remain just not convicted by their sin, they don't care what they do, they just go to church, they grab their coffee, they sit their butt in the seat, they just listen to sermon after sermon, they go to these church events, they do these religious activities, but they're not actually changed by God. That problem has been in the church for 2,000 years. And my prayer tonight is that there be no person in this room that, that steps out of here doing it that way. I pray that you'd either be compelled to run to Jesus or run away from him. You have to respond, though. I pray that it would not be a place, that this would not be a place that's conducive to lukewarm Christianity. That's my prayer. Because, and that's not to say if you're seeking or searching that you have to leave. I'm not saying that. Please stay. Like, I want you to process through things. This is a safe place to do that. We don't all have to believe the same thing. We all don't have to act the same way. But I'm saying that I don't want anyone in here to think that you can just say, oh, I intellectually believe in Jesus and I'm going to heaven. No, that's not what the Bible says. And I'm not going to lie to you either. The Bible says if you truly taste God's love, then it will change your life. So throughout this entire passage, James is driving this central point home that if you really have faith, then actions will result. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, get this. If you believe that this dude, like he came, he did these miracles, he healed people, he raised people from the dead, and then he defeated death himself and rose from the dead. If you truly believe that, then it should change the way you live. You can't be indifferent to him at that point. If you truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that should change everything. That's what James is arguing for here. So the arguments about this passage, where they stem from, that I talked about earlier between faith and works and this or is James saying we can work for our salvation? These arguments 
stem from the seeming contradictions. They're not contradictions, but they can seem that way. Between James, who's emphasizing the importance of works, and Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who repeatedly emphasizes that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. So Paul penned Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, these glorious verses. Let's read them. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that, or so that there can be no one who boasts. So James does not disagree with Paul. I want you to get that. James would agree with Paul that it's by grace we are saved through faith. Or like I said earlier, if James didn't believe that, then the cross is for nothing. So James is not trying to get you to work for your salvation. Instead, he's emphasizing the importance of works following from faith. So Paul and James would agree that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, that each of us are saved. But at the same time, if you truly believe, if you have truly trusted Jesus with your salvation and allowed his love to truly enter your life, then your life will look different and good works will begin to come. So let's go through these verses, just verse by verse, and unpack this truth, that true faith works. So let's start with verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So James is, or James is setting up his argument here that true faith cannot exist without works. And he's asking if faith, in quotations, which he's talking about sheer belief or just intellectual assent, without works can save, and the implied answer is no. Let's keep reading verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things that are needed for the body, then what good is that? So here James is arguing with himself. He's painting this hypothetical picture of what faith without works would look like in an everyday situation. So there's this Christian brother or sister who doesn't have clothes, doesn't have food, this person's in serious trouble, and then another brother or sister in the faith walks by the person and says, go in peace, be warmed, be filled. It's like saying, hey, I'll pray for you. And James says, what good does that do? And yes, we should pray, but he says you shouldn't just pray, you should actually do something about it. If you can clothe somebody, you should give them clothes. Some of you ladies, you got so many clothes, just pass them out. Come on, this closet's full. I actually have a lot of clothes too, so it's not just ladies, but... Give your clothes away. Give your money away. Feed people. That's what James is saying. He's saying if you have tasted, you're tasted the love of God, then you can't just give someone this nice religious gesture that says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, because you know that's a cop-out. And you're compelled by the love of God to actually help the person in need. So followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I'm challenging you. James is challenging us. We're not simply called to pray religious prayers but we're called to do something about the needs we see in our world. And hear me, like we're not the saviors of the world and we can't fix every problem, but if there's a need that's in front of you and you can fill the need, then you should do that. Jesus addresses this, and this is even more scary, in Matthew 25, verses 41 through 45. He says this, this is Jesus talking. So the same Jesus that culture tells you is this little fairy dust guy that just says, oh, I love everyone, you're all going to heaven. This doesn't sound like that fairy dust Jesus. Let's read it. And he does love everyone, but everyone's not going to heaven. Sorry, guys. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, 
and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also were in, or they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not, or did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So Jesus is saying the way you treat the poor, the way you treat those who are in need is the way you're treating me. And he says if you are not so compelled by my love, if you haven't truly tasted my love in such a way where you start to take care of the least of these in this world, then he says depart from me. He said you haven't truly tasted my salvation. The Bible does not leave room for just intellectual Christianity. Guys, it has to be something that compels us to live differently. And if you're not careful, you can read this legalistically. And I want to say again, Jesus is not saying that caring for the poor will earn us our salvation. But or what Jesus is saying is if we're truly following him and have been changed by his love and grace, then we could not possibly let our brothers and sisters go without clothes and food without taking care of those needs. And we're all guilty of this. Like we're all guilty of just looking away or from the needs of the world. And Jesus is not waiting to condemn you. Hear me on that. But he does seek for us to repent and to be stirred by his patience and his love and his grace with us where it just stirs up compassion in our hearts to care for people uh, or to care for people who are in need. So James 2.17, let's keep going, says this. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here's the crux of James's argument. Faith, if it's not evidenced by works, is dead. So without, or without works, your faith has no life in it. It's not even real, he says. It's dead. It didn't even exist. So Paul and James agree on this. If your faith is true, then it's going to cause you to love God, so pursue holiness. When I talk about loving God, I'm mainly talking about pursuing holiness because pursuing holiness pleases God. You can't just allow sin to reign in your life and claim that you love God. There's no room for that in the scriptures. If you love God, it doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but it does mean that you're going to keep progressing. And it does mean when you sin, you're going to repent. So guys, if you have unrepentant sin in your life, that's a scary place to be. And I got to ask you, have you experienced God's love? So James says, if your faith is true, it will cause you to love God and pursue holiness. And it will also cause you to love people with supernatural compassion. So we have to ask ourselves, is our faith alive? That's my question for us tonight. Is our faith alive? Is our faith so true that it actually affects the way we live our lives? James says if it doesn't affect the way you live your lives, then it's dead. So who in here likes to take road trips, you know? Like the adventurers? Yeah, let's go. So I like the idea of taking road trips, but for most of my adult life, I've had cars that don't run very well. I have nice cars now, but I had cars that don't run. So I didn't really get to take to take road trips, and now I feel like I'm too busy to take, or to take road trips. But anyways, right. so let's say that there's one time I did take a road trip, actually, and that time I rented a car because I didn't trust my car to actually make it. I didn't have faith in my car, so, uh, or let's say if I said this, that I had faith in my car, that my car wouldn't break down, so I said, hey, my car is good. It could totally get me across the country. But then I refused to take it on trips out of fear that it would break down, and is that truly faith that my car would make it. If I'm saying, I believe my car would make it, totally, but then I go rent a car and pay hundreds of dollars every single time I take a trip, that's not true faith in my car because I'm doing that because I think it's going to break down. There's so many of us who we say we have faith in Jesus, we say we have faith 
this book is true, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus rose from the dead, and we're not getting in the car. We're not driving it. We're saying, oh, yeah, I believe in that. Well, why aren't you doing this book? Oh, oh I don't know. I'm not ready yet. You know, I got to do my thing for a little bit. Like, I'm going to wait until I'm 30 and have kids until I start actually reading this and tr- truly obeying it. Get in the car. It's way fun, too. Road trips are fun. Following Jesus is fun. I was talking to John Griffin in the car before service. We were just talking about it's how we don't get how people just want to do half and half out Christianity. And that's not to condemn you, but guys, it's so much fun. It's amazing. Following Jesus is the best decision that you could ever make. It's not this legalism thing where you have to try to earn God's love. No, God loves you despite your flaws. And then you get to slowly progress out of that or slowly progress out of your sin as God continues to tell you every day that he loves you, that he still has a plan for you, that he's not giving up on you. That compels you to live your life in such a way where you go all out for him. Guys, why would you not want to follow Jesus? Come on, it's amazing. So James 2.18, let's keep going. It says this, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I feel like there's a dance-off about to happen. Like, step up three right here. He's like, you have faith, I have works. I'll show you my faith. <laughs> Whatever. All right, so anyway, as was common in Greek rhetoric, James is setting up this hypothetical argument. He's introducing this hypothetical respondent into his discussion of faith and works. So for me, in my situation with the car, James's hypothetical debater would say, hey, I have faith that my car is going to be reliable on trips. And James would say, prove it by actually taking it on a trip. And then the debater would respond and say, nah, don't really want to. I'm content paying hundreds of dollars, like I said, to rent someone else's car. And then James would respond, that, hey, you don't really trust your car, do you? He's just, James is laying it down. Verse 19, it gets even crazier. He says, you believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So now he's grouping his respondent with demons. What a nice guy. All right. James says you can't just believe in Jesus apart from works. Even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that doesn't mean that they're followers of Jesus. This shows that you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and not, or not experience salvation. So if anyone's ever told you, like I said earlier, that you just have to believe in God to, or to go to heaven, then you were misinformed. Guys, you need to have faith, true, robust faith, that Jesus paid for your sins and that should cause you to live differently. Verse 20 through 21. Do you want to be shown person, a person that faith apart from works is useless? And was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Whoa. Okay, wait a minute. Is James saying that we're justified by works and not by faith? So here we go. Paul and James again. Let's break it down. Paul says in Romans 5.1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Paul says this, justified by faith, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 3.28, he says, For we hold that, or that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And then in Romans 4, he says that Abraham, same dude. So Paul says Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. So if Paul in Romans is saying that Abraham and we are justified by faith, and James is saying we're justified by works, then isn't that a contradiction? Aren't Paul and James opposed to each other? One of the reasons I can say with confidence that they're not opposed to each other is James is saying that, 
or if James is saying we are made right with God by our works, like Paul is saying that faith makes us right with God, then he would be teaching something that's contrary to what the disciples taught, and he would have been kicked out of the church, to be honest with you. This would not have lasted. This letter would not have lasted because they would have excommunicated him out of the church. So that's not what he's teaching. James and Paul, they hung out together. They were leaders of the church. Peter was in there too. It was just a sweet party. These three were leading the church. So Paul, the guy who was very passionate about grace alone through faith alone, we read Ephesians 2, he would have said, dude, get out. Like, you're done. I don't care for Jesus' brother. Get out of here. Paul was leading the church. So Paul would have had him excommunicated. And then the other reason I can say with confidence is if, um, or confidence that they don't disagree is Paul and James are referring to different events in Abraham's life. So I don't know if you know his story. I'll try to bring you up to speed. But Paul in Romans is referring to Genesis 15, 6, which is this event in Abraham's life where he believes God's promise to him. So when he first believes this promise to him that God's going to make him into a great nation. James is referring to Genesis 22, if you've ever read Genesis, where Abraham takes his son up to an altar and is going to sacrifice him because God told him to. That's where you're getting freaked out. But God stops him and says, hey, I don't really want you to sacrifice your son. I just wanted to see if you would do it. And trust me. Which, all right, we're not going to unpack that tonight. <laughs> so, uh, I love you, Lord. All right, so anyways, I don't understand everything. All right, so let's get on here. So, to summarize, Paul emphasizes Genesis 15, where Abraham believes something, and James is emphasizing Genesis 22, where there Abraham actually does something about that belief. So they're referring to different events. So let's throw up the slide here. So apparently James had a different sense of the word justify than Paul did. So the primary way that Paul used the word justify emphasizes the sense of being originally declared righteous by God through faith on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross when you first believe. So when you first trust Jesus, you're justified. You're made right through your faith, trusting in the Lord. For James, he was referring to when you demonstrate your faith. So he's not saying you're saved by demonstrating your faith, but he's just saying that's when you know you're justified, when you actually take a step of faith and you actually walk out your faith. So they're referring to different events. It's all the same theology. Like, guys, we're justified by faith alone, through grace alone, but, but if you're truly justified, then you're going to take... Uh, or take steps of faith, do good works. Or so they're just referring to different points. Like I said, Paul declared righteous by God through faith. James saying it's when you demonstrate that you've been declared righteous by God. So James 2.22, let's keep going. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. So James says that Abraham's faith was completed by his works. That's what I was trying to say. Completed like means to bring to maturity. So full, growing, genuine faith is seen in the good deeds it produces. That's what James is referring to. He, that's what James is referring to when he talks about being justified. It, there's this point where you're completing your faith. And then verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So here James is referring to Genesis 15 in a way that complements rather than contradicts Paul's, or Paul's use of it in Romans, for he sees this verse as being fulfilled. So Genesis 15, or the one that Paul was referring to, James sees that being fulfilled in Genesis 22 when Abraham takes a step of faith. Keep track with me, please. This is some serious theology right now. You're like sitting in Bible school. Let's keep going. James 2, 24. Where it says, 
It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So for James, faith alone is not the same thing that Paul is referring to when he says faith alone. For James, faith alone means some bogus kind of faith that all of us have seen in America. This is faith that says, I intellectually disagree with doctrine of Christianity, but I don't actually, or but I don't actually live in a way where I, I trust Christ in day-to-day life. So James is saying you can't just sign on a dotted line and then believe you'll be justified, but instead you must truly believe it in your heart so that it changes the way you live. Verse 25 through 26, then we're done with the verses. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the, or the, or the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James concludes by referring to another Old Testament story of this prostitute her name's Rahab. Uh, she believes these stories about God's saving work. And then God's people come to her land and she helps them out. She helps protect them from her own people. Or so, she also, or so first she believes in this God and then she actually does something about it by protecting his people. Or so James is referring to that. All right, so whew, all right, we're done with the theology. It's a lot of theology right there. Congratulations. We just navigated through one of the toughest pieces of scripture. And I think I lost like half of you, but that's all right. But I hope you can see that James and Paul's writings are compatible. They truly are compatible. The entire New Testament teaches this truth that each of us who are followers of Jesus are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And if we truly believe that, if we're truly saved, then it's going to transform the way we live our lives. So I'm going to skip, or skip this slide. We're going to go to this. So the gospel is not, I want you guys to get this, the gospel is not, I obey, and therefore God loves me. If that's what you've been taught, scratch it. That is not the gospel. That's not the good news. That doesn't sound like very good news because I don't obey very well. I obey, and therefore God loves me. That's not the gospel. What the gospel is is God loves me, and in response to that, I obey. So James wants us to realize that our faith is so precious. God loves us so stinking much that if you truly experience it, then you would never even think about abusing his grace by continuing to live your life in sin. James says we should show our faith in Jesus by how we love God and how we love other people. And when you encounter that truth, that Jesus loves you right where you're at, struggles and all, that will change you. That's what James is saying. And that gives you all the motivation you need to live a life of active faith. That love of God, that's what should give you the motivation you need to live a life of active faith. So some of us in here have talked about the struggle with legalism. Some of us struggle with that. We struggle with this idea that, or that we have to perform for God. And I just want to read Ephesians 2 to you. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. It's really powerful. Let's just read it. I'm not going to talk about it too much, but let's just read it. But God, be, or being rich in mercy, get this, guys. This is beautiful. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated or seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. And it's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So Paul is saying we were dead in our trespasses. We were unable to do anything for God, and in the midst of that, God sends his own son to die on the cross for our sins to give us opportunity to be saved through his grace. And all we have to do is trust in Jesus' work on the cross. So legalism does not work with God because without him, 
we're dead. There's nothing we can do to earn his love. So I also want to talk about licentiousness. We talked about this last week. Licentiousness is what James is addressing. It's this idea that, you know, believe in Jesus, sign on the dotted line, then do whatever you want because God will always love you. The problem with this thinking is if you truly encounter God's love, then you could never stay the same. As James says, true faith works. So those of us who struggle with licentiousness have deceived ourselves into thinking that if we just recite a prayer or believe in God, then we'll be saved. But James says, faith without works is dead. So licentiousness just does not work according to James, and it doesn't work according to Paul either. Let's read Romans 6, 1 through 4. They agree on this. Where it says, what shall, or what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? That's convicting, guys. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So when you're baptized in water, you're baptized into Christ's death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, then we too might walk in the newness of life. So just as Christ died on the cross for our sins and then he rose from the dead, when you decide to get baptized in water, like, guys, you're dying to your old self, and then when you come up, you're this brand new creation. That's the idea. And you're supposed to walk in newness of life. You're supposed to walk as someone who's been resurrected. Like it says in Ephesians 2, you're dead in your trespasses. You're supposed to walk as someone who's been resurrected from that and given new life. So if you've truly been resurrected from your dead self, then you're going to live differently. So James is saying that's what Paul is saying. So a lot of you know my faith story, but I just want to share just a bit of it again because I think it really applies well to this passage. For me, I've always been a Christian intellectually. I've always believed the truth about God. I grew up in church. I was an all-star kid in children's church and youth group, and I understood the Bible fairly well. Well, at least I thought I did. And, but it took a long time for me to actually see good works be produced in my life and for me to truly live all out for Christ. It took like, my whole childhood pretty much. And for me, my faith didn't really begin to work until I hit rock bottom. It's like I had to hit rock bottom before I could truly understand what Jesus did for me. So this journey of realizing that I was unable to perform for God, but God still loved me in the midst of it, this journey of realizing that began when I was 12. I became addicted to pornography, and for six years I wrestled with this addiction. I wrestled at night with God, like, could you still love me when I'm doing this? And throughout all that time, he didn't change his mind about me. But then when I was 16 to 18 years old, I began to party on and do the party scene. Some of us have done that. And I just began to do things that I never wanted to do. And in the summer after my senior year of high school, all the partying, alcohol, terrible ways of thinking, my poor relationships, this all brought me to the end of myself, and I finally realized that I could not do anything to measure up to God on my own. I realized that God didn't owe me anything. That's something we need to realize. God does not owe you anything. I realized that I had nothing to offer him. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was dirty. I realized this. I got to this place of rock bottom where I felt like God could never forgive me because of the things that I had done. But in the midst of that, something supernatural happened in my life. And I realized that just as I had hit rock bottom, at the same time, Christ still loved me. He spoke this truth to me through tears. I was crying. I was just seeking the Lord. He's like, could you still love me? And then I just felt the still small voice of the Holy Spirit say, that there's nothing you could do that could ever separate you from my love. And once I got that, once it really got inside of me, it changed everything about me. Pornography was gone. Uh, Drinking on the weekends was gone. 
uh, dirty movies. Guys, I went to my dorm. I just passed them out to people. You can take them. I don't know why I passed them out to people. I should have thrown them away, but I couldn't have those anymore. I was trying to be nice. I don't know. There's stupid things you do when you're a freshman. No offense, freshman. But guys, my life began to transform. I used to watch dirty movies with my friends all the time. I could never watch those anymore. There's something that happened inside of me because I realized God loved me so much when all I had to offer him was filthy rags. God loved me that much to keep loving me in my darkest moment. And that had to change the way I live my life. And I'm praying that the Lord would let some of you hit rock bottom so you could realize how messed up you are. Because you're really messed up. We're all messed up. And then out of that, he could bring something new. And God could tell you that there's nothing that that you could ever do to separate you from my love. And he could create something new. He could bring you up out of that. Some of you have to hit rock bottom, but I pray that that wouldn't have to happen for you guys. Get it now. Guys, you're more flawed than you could ever imagine. You're sinful. You're dead in your trespasses. But at the same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. And there's nothing you could ever do to separate yourself from God's love. And allow that to change the way you live your life. Stop screwing around. In a sentence, stop screwing around. Stop saying you're a Christian. And doing religious activities, but not actually living out your faith. That's what James is saying. James was angry. Or James called one dude a foolish person. I'm not doing that to you, okay? Foolish person. I'm tempted. I'm not doing that to you. I'm being nice compared to James. But James is saying, I've tasted this love, and it changed my life. How can you abuse it like that? He's saying, you fool. How can you continue to make decisions for yourself without asking God his opinion on stuff? So I'd propose to you tonight, when you realize God's love for you and you have true faith, it's going to change you. There's going to be two things that happen, briefly, two things that happen. One, you're going to have right beliefs. So orthodoxy, that's a fan, or the fancy religious word, orthodoxy, you're going to have this right beliefs, okay? And then also you're going to have orthopraxy, which is right actions. Orthodoxy, right beliefs, orthopraxy, right actions, that's what should happen when you grasp how much Jesus loves you. If you've given your life to Jesus and you've truly experienced his love, then you will submit yourself to the scriptures. This will be your guide for life. Not culture. Not culture. I'll say it like 5,000 times. Not culture. No, this book. It doesn't matter if it seems outdated to you. This book is what you submit to because you've been transformed by the love of God. If you've truly been transformed by the love of God, then you'll have right beliefs. Anything this book says, that's what you believe. This is your guide for life. If you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. You haven't experienced God's love yet. But if you are a Christian, you're not off the hook. This book needs to bear weight on your life. Guys, you need to have right beliefs. And then also, orthopraxy. And this is what James is talking about. He's saying you can't just believe. You also have to have action. Orthopraxy is right actions. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you should seek to obey Jesus and, and do whatever he asks you to do. And you should make a decision each and every day to run from your sin and to run to Jesus You should make a decision each day to nail your sins to the cross and to take up the new life that Jesus calls you to. Galatians 2.20 so beautifully says, I have been crucified with Christ, or it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In In a life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we seek to obey Jesus, and we seek to live a life that is pleasing to him, guys, we have to... We have to remember it's not about perfection, it's about progress, it's about just making this decision to nail your sins to the cross, to crucify your flesh, to say no to yourself. Some of us just need to learn how to do that, to say no to yourself. But if you're struggling to get free from a sin tonight, I want to say this. Don't give up. 
It's about progress. It's not about perfection. It's about continually growing closer to him. Guys, it's not about figuring it all out tonight. Seek the Lord. Run from your sin. If you stumble, repent, get back up, and lean into his grace. That's what I encourage you with tonight. I'm going to skip down to Romans 5.8. It says this, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray that you let that get into your bones. That's what James is saying. He's saying, if you would really get that, that Christ died for you when you were still a sinner, if you really believe that, like you say you believe it, but do you really believe it? He's saying, if you really believe that, then that would change some things about your life. He's calling people out. That's what he's doing. And I think the Holy Spirit's calling, on, or calling us out tonight. Like not in a spirit of condemnation. So condemnation is this feeling of guilt and feeling like Jesus could never love you. It's feeling guilty about your confessed sin, like things you've already given to Jesus. It's feeling guilty and dirty about it. No, that's not from the Lord. But conviction is from the Lord. And conviction is feeling guilty over unconfessed sin. So things you haven't given to, or to God yet, you need to do that. And it's also this sense where Jesus lovingly tells you, he says, you are made for more than this. Now stop messing around. That's conviction. It's not condemnation. It's conviction. It's where Jesus calls you up higher. And the Holy Spirit is con- are convicting us tonight. I pray that you would respond to that by saying, Lord, I want to obey you. God, I want to follow you. I don't have it all figured out tonight, but I'm committed to go through the process. The worship team would come up. We're going to close. So the main idea tonight is this. True faith works. True faith works can't say it enough. Do not fall into legalism. I don't think I have to define it again. Don't fall into legalism. But sure as heck, do not fall into licentiousness, because that's what James is addressing. So don't go out from here and make a list and start trying to work harder, but instead, get to know Jesus, who really loves you. Spend some time with him, and allow that to change you. So if you come here tonight, and you're not a follower of Jesus at this point, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. Please keep coming. We love having people who don't believe yet here. I pray that you would believe at some point, but that's not uh, a requirement to be part of our community or to be loved by us. So if you're just seeking right now, you're trying to figure out what you believe, I just want to encourage you and challenge you tonight. The only way that you can ever stand before God is by trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. God of the universe He's not distant, he's not far off, but instead he loves you so much that he sent his own son to die for you. Get this, guys. Come on, don't just hear this and just let it go in, or go in one year and out the other. Get this. God in heaven, God of the universe, created everything, created billions and billions of galaxies. God sends his own son, who he's been with for all of eternity, to come to earth to live a perfect life, to do everything the right way, okay? And then to pay a prisoner's penalty, to go on the cross, to, to be nailed to a tree for our sins. And now if we just believe in that, we truly believe in it in such a way where it changes our life, where we truly give ourselves to Jesus, if we believe in that truth, then when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your struggles. He doesn't see where you've been, but instead he sees Jesus, his son, who he's been with for all of eternity, who's always obeyed him. God sees his son. And he calls you son or daughter. So I pray tonight, if you're far from God, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray that you would encounter that truth and that you'd run from legalism or licentiousness or whatever's pulling out your heart and instead you'd run to the throne of grace where Jesus is sitting right now and saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I pray tonight that you would encounter that 
If you're a Christian by name in this room tonight, but you don't really love God or your neighbor, my prayer for you is that God's love would penetrate your heart. The fact that he loves you in the midst of your flaws would so touch you that you'd begin to actually love him and those around you. That's my prayer. That's James's prayer for those of you who are Christians by name, but not by action. And finally, for the followers of Jesus here tonight, I pray that you would avoid the mistakes of both this legalism and this licentiousness. Guys, you can never earn God's love. Nothing you ever do will God's love for you. But at the same time, if you've tasted his love, then you should begin to obey him. And when you do stumble and fall, you're going to run to Jesus, not from him. If you truly tasted this amazing love, it will change you. If you guys could stand with me tonight. Let's be a group of people. Let's like Chi Alpha be a group of people who doesn't just intellectually believe in the doctrines of Christ or believe in the Bible or say we're Christians because we grew up in church. Let's not be that group. I don't want to be that group. But instead, let's actually believe this book and believe the teachings of Jesus in such a way where it changes the way we live. If that happens, this campus will be flipped upside down. God is just waiting for a group of people who will activate their faith and begin to live it out in day to or in day-to-day life as or just as they interact with people and as you love people and you love God and people will see the holiness in your life. God is looking for a group of people to do that. And I believe when we do that, I believe this campus will be transformed. I believe it's coming. I believe God's going to give us this revelation of his, of his great love for us in such a way where it just transforms the entire campus. I pray that we'd be that group. Let it never be said that Kyle is a group of hypocritical people or people who don't have true faith. But guys, let us always live in such a way where it's clear that, that we actually believe the teachings of the Scripture. We actually believe that Jesus came and died for us. All right, bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray. There's two ways to respond tonight. So the first way is this. If you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus or you once were but, but have walked away, or if you're a Christian by name, but you're not actually living it out, I want to give you an opportunity to get right with God tonight. Just to put everything at his feet and say, God, I accept your love for me. So if that's you, there's no one looking around, just me. Can you raise your hand? It's just between you and God. See that hand? Is there anyone else in this room? Awesome. You guys can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you. So as I pray, just pray in your heart. Just pray a prayer in your own words. Just asking Jesus to save you and to come into your heart and to begin a relationship with you. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for coming and dying for, for our sins. And God, we pray tonight that there be the supernatural trust that happens in our heart where we trust that you do love us, that you truly did die for us, and that that would change our whole lives, Lord. Pray that you would come in and give us a fresh start. In Jesus' name. I also pray for one more group of you. So if you're a Christian in this room and tonight you felt convicted by the Holy Spirit about something, I don't know what it is, but if that's you, can you just raise your hand to heaven? Just saying, God, I feel that conviction and I want to respond by putting it at your feet. Tons of hands going up. Okay, I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you for this group. God, thank you for the group of followers of Jesus in here who have just said, hey, I'm feeling convicted and and I want to give it to God tonight. So God, we give it to you. Whatever it is, it's different stuff for all of us. We give it to you and say, 
God, help us to run from that sin and to run into your arms and to continually be transformed day in and day out. God, we love you so much. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.